but what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the word of the Lord from Romans. What I want to do now is we'll finish on a time of, um, of, of worship. But what I want to do now is I want to talk to you a talk that's called Talk Talk. You see, the Lord talks every day to his people. He talks in love. He talks in protection. He talks in guidance. And he talks now. Our problem is not talk talk, but listen, listen. We have ears to listen, listen. So now let's listen to Colossians. It's Colossians <clears throat> 1. But not only to listen to that, but to hear, to hear for us, for you, how God's words, his talk talk, his love gift of words in the Bible, on the Bible page. Let's search today for what we need to hear. As man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now it's interesting, the book of Colossians was almost certainly written by Paul. And at that time, Paul was actually under house arrest, probably in Rome. There is some debate among people, but basically that seems to be the generally held view. And unfortunately at that time, in Colossus, Colossus was a, a, a second-rate market town at this time. It, it was become almost a backwater. There were other places like Ephesus and so on that were the main trading things. But it was on that trading route. And that church, which Paul had never been to, but one of his disciples went there and evangelized the area, but they started to get into areas of error. They started to go back to the old flesh ways. They were not looking at God's word. They were not looking at the gospel. They were looking at those things that became a heresy, a number of heresies, and it became as Gnosticism. Gnosticism's a funny word, but it had a lot to do. And if I just give you the outline what they were doing in this place that was supposed to be Christian, they were doing ceremonial ceremonialism. They were doing ceremonies. They were, had strict rules about permitted food and drink and religious festivals. They had a, a belief that in being aesthetic, that you didn't handle, you didn't touch, you didn't taste things. They also angel worshipped. So angels were sort of coming in the place of Jesus. They tended to put Christ in the second place rather than the supremacy of Christ. So everything was being watered. They talked about this secret knowledge, a secret knowledge that was uh, 
hidden treasure of wisdom rather than the gospel truth. And they had a reliance on human wisdom and tradition. Ceremonies, angel worship, Christ in second place, secret knowledges. Does that remind you of anything going on today? It does me, all over the place. But let's not pause there. So in Colossae, this is what it says, at Colossians 1 verse 15, can you get there, Jane or not? Colossians 1 verse 15, have a go. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now here Christ is called the image of God, he's described as the radiance of God's glory. He's an exact representation of God. His image, sorry? Yeah, lovely, thank you. Thanks, Jane. She didn't know that was happening. And he's the firstborn over creation. Now, in the biblical world, in the times of the Jews, the firstborn son has special privileges, special inheritances, and so on. So, what we're looking at here is just as in that time, Christ has certain rights in relation to creation. He is the priority, he is the sovereignty. After all, he created it. As it says, verse 16, all things were created in him. I'll read that whole verse, I think. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. By him all things were created. Seven times in six verses, Paul mentions all creation, stressing Christ is supreme. He is before all things. He was before time. He was before time, during time and after time. He is before things and in him all things hold together. Isn't that amazing? It's like the glue holding the whole fabric of the universe together. You take out Jesus and everything fragments, becomes as nothing. He holds everything together. It's that picture, isn't it? Of just holding in his hand the whole of creation, the whole of humanity, the whole of us. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He was the first to die and then come back to life. Other people during Jesus' ministry were dead and they were made well, as J. John says. But in their being made well, they only lived to die eventually. Jesus rose from the dead and is alive today. That is the difference. He was the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have what? The supremacy. The supremacy, the first, the most powerful. And what happens? Verse 19, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. In whom? In Jesus. What? God's fullness. If you look at Jesus, you've got everything of God. 
because God is difficult for us, you know, because God is spirit. That's the bit about invisible. All things in heaven and on earth are visible and invisible. So Jesus is the visible part of God, the invisible. I'll say that again. Jesus is the visible part of God, invisible. And God is pleased with his son. His God is pleased to have his fullness dwelling in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We don't normally see blood being the place of, blood being shed as being the place of peace, do we? Quite the opposite. And yet Jesus' blood is different. It's shed so that we can be at peace. Why are we at peace? Because we are forgiven by what he has done. It is the forgiveness. What is Jesus' blood? Yes, it's half Mary's, but it's half God's blood. The Holy Spirit's blood is shed at Calvary. And of course it doesn't remain dry like most blood that is shed on the ground. His blood is flowing and active in healing and restoration and power. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. We've all been there. Before we knew Jesus, that was each one of us. Each one of us here, each one of us listening on the internet. You were alienated, separated. You were not with God. And if you were not for God at that point, you are against him. You were enemies. Where were you enemies? In your mind. Why? Because of your evil behaviour. The old-fashioned word is sin. S-I-N. What's the middle letter of sin? I. It's the I. So much I we see in the world today. And we see the result of I in the appalling things we hear day by day. But now, here comes the good news, but now he, who's he? Jesus again. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Isn't that wonderful? You are holy in God's sight. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you are spotless. You are whiter than white. Without blemish. A wonderful word, blemish. You know that marring blemish. You haven't got a blemish. There isn't a spot or freckle or something that's a scar. You're not like that. That's the way God sees you. That's the way Jesus sees you. And the Holy Spirit needs to speak to your heart and to your mind to confirm the truth of that. You are without blemish and free from accusation. The enemy accuses every one of us at times. Oh, you're not this, you're not that, you fall short, you, you, you didn't do this, you did do that. No, no, get lost. Get lost, enemy. You are free from accusation. How? There is a condition. If you continue in your faith, established and firm. It's established in you and firm. It's like a foundation. You put in the concrete into the hole. That's the establishment of it, but it's firm. Once it's dry, it will hold. That's what you need to have. 
What is the foundation? It is the rock. Who is the rock? Jesus. Continue your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held in the gospel. Now, hope in the world is a sort of vague, well, I hope one day that I might, you know, one day I hope I might go around the world, one day I hope I might do this or do that. You know, it's the bucket list, the list of hopes. This is not what he's talking about here. Hope in the Bible is a certainty, an absolute certainty it will happen to you. Yes, how do you acquire it? By faith and by pursuing it in faith of the fact that you know you're without blemish, you're free from accusation. You know who Jesus is and you know who Jesus is from you. So the hope you mustn't be moved from is the hope held out in the gospel, the good news for you and for the world. This is the gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And it's getting to that stage, isn't it, now with the internet and all the other means of electronic communication that to the farthest corner and to the deepest place and to the most remote thing that every person in one way or another is beginning to hear the truth of Jesus. And it says at the end, for which I, Paul, because that's at the end of the day, Paul is writing this from house arrest, don't forget, He's full of all this stuff, and yet he's actually locked out. He probably can't even go out in his own garden. He is under house arrest. He is waiting his fate, and his fate we know took place in Rome when eventually he became a martyr for Christ. There was something else I just wanted to put in. It says further on in Colossians that we should speak to one another in hymns, and spiritual songs and psalms. Do you realize that what I've just read to you, go back to the beginning, Jane, take it through, particularly the first 20 verses. Go back to the beginning if you can. Can't do it? No, okay, it doesn't matter. It's all right, we've got an overhead, folks, and uh, we can't reverse at the moment. It is like the first hymn. If you say there's no hymns in the Bible, look at that. You can almost make up a tune as you're going through the words. He is the image of the invisible God, the first God born over all creation. Jeff Lucas looks at it and calls it a poem. And that's interesting. That may well be right, because there's a poetic side to hymns, isn't there? But it is about God. Hymns are usually about, choruses are usually to Jesus. Hymns are usually about God. And this, I think, is a perfect example of a hymn. He is the image of the invisible God. By him all things were created. He is before all things. He is the head of the church. For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. So that's talk, talk. Margaret Browning wrote this, Every bush is aflame with the fire of God, but only those who see take off their shoes. The rest just pick the berries. May we not be one of the berry pickers. May we really humble ourselves before God take our shoes off. Rick Joyner says it in his book. He says these words are like a transfusion of life. A single word from God is worth more than all the treasure on earth. 
and here are a number of words so clearly inspired of God through Paul in a place where he couldn't go freely about and talk, talk. He had to listen, listen. And I praise God that he did that and we can share that today. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for Paul, the apostle, and thank you for your words here, Lord. And we just pray at this time of Advent as we run towards the good news of Jesus coming with the good news of salvation, saving man from himself, from the evil that's within him. Lord, we just thank you that you give us hope that is a certainty. May we live in that now and in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Can I just read out the version of this reading um, from the message? Because it's, it's outstanding. So I'll just read from verse 15. It says, We look at this sun and we see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this sun and see God's original purpose in everything created. Everything, absolutely everything. Above and below, visible, invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. Everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence. And he holds it together right up to this moment. When it comes to the church, he organizes it and holds it together like a head does a body. <laughs> I love this bit. He was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade, which includes us. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, if that wasn't enough, not only that, but all of the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. And that's all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. It's just so good sometimes to read scriptures from different sources. I know we've sort of got our favourite, but sometimes we move out of our favourite comfort zone and just look at something else. Sometimes it can uh, spring up and be such a blessing. <laughs>